ladies and gentlemen, please listen carefully to the following announcement. take your seats if you've not already done so. Uh, This year, 2014, for us as a church has been a year really where God has continuously been pressing into us this need to ensure that we stay centered around the one that we've said our lives are all about. And that therefore, throughout this year, we've had moments on Sundays where we've come and we've gathered and we've looked and said, what does it mean then to be a community, to be individuals who've said, actually, at the The center of who I am is Jesus. It's the life that he's provided and his life, death, and resurrection. And that's at the center. And everything else that makes up my life then orbits him at the center. And we've gone on and looked at how do we seek to continuously do that. And ensuring that we live with this simple rhythm that ensures that we keep Jesus at the center. That we, within our day-to-day lives, live with this rhythm of ensuring that we have moments where we pause. That we just stop our tracks in the busyness of everyday life and say, actually, in the pause moment, what's at the center at this point in time? What's at the center of my being? And in that moment of centering, of saying, yeah, I, I realign and say, Jesus, I want you to be at the center here. And then from that point of saying, Jesus, you're at the center, we then continue in our life. And we, we're just kind of living this simple yet profound rhythm of pausing, centering, and continuing. And Though we kind of have been in the series that was meant to end, actually, just before Easter, that we'd titled Centred, and uh, I kind of got to this point, and Mike did this great talk, if you've not heard it, it's online, about being centred in everything, everywhere. We kind of said, that's the end, now we're going to look at Centred in Easter, and then we're going to go on after the Catalyst Festival to look at what it looks like to be centred in living. I was in a conversation with uh, the rest of the team, with Sarah Bowen and Ebba Harper, and we were talking, we, we got into this whole subject of emotions, As we're talking, it just stimulated so many thoughts and questions. And I I thought, you know what? The one thing that we've not looked at in terms of our centered series, we looked at our centered in thinking, centered in worship, centered in our our kind of prayer life, all of this. I thought, we didn't look at what it looks like to be centered in our emotions. I thought, man, that's what we've got to do. And so we kind of changed tracks a little bit. But actually, today we'll look at what it means to be centered in our emotions. See, emotions... All of us will feel. They're kind of that involuntary response that we have to a person, a situation, or an event. And in that involuntary response, we, we then have a moment of how we're going to react to that response. How are we going to handle it? And if you like, it's that that I want to look at this morning of not our emotions, good or bad, but rather how do we handle them? Because actually, we all have emotions. 
part of how God created us is as those who have emotions. God is an emotional God, as we'll go on to see. But isn't it, it's important that we understand that Jesus at the center also is at the center of how we handle and deal with our emotions. We can be centered on Jesus in our emotions. And it's important that we look at it that way because it's so easy to actually become centered on our emotions. Our emotions can become so part of the core of who we are, we can find that actually the rest of life starts to orbit around them. So without knowing it, we can start to live a roller coaster lifestyle. That we can find that our life is determined by both the highs and the lows of what we feel. And so you can ask someone, you say, how are you doing today? And they think, man, I got up and I got a check. It was amazing. It's the best day ever. And then kind of by lunchtime, we find, man, I've forgotten my food. I'm very hungry. What am I going to eat? Oh, this is so bad. Then someone doesn't quite look at us in the right way. They kind of seem to ignore us. And we think, are they talking to me? Are they on their phone? Are they even saying hello to me? We think, oh, this is awful. And we find that then the next moment we're kind of looking, we say, oh, no, they've turned and they've said hello to us. We go, oh, this is brilliant. This is the best day. They know me. Hey, look, I'm known. And we find our life is like one of a roller coaster. We find that we can be centered on emotions, which doesn't just mean we live in like a roller coaster lifestyle. It means also that we can live with excess baggage. It means that we can live <laughs> kind of pulling along way more than we ever need. We can find that actually through events that have happened, through those events that might be to do with people, it might be to do with something that's happened, that we can find that actually the emotion that we had for that allows us to not move on. We find that we can't get to a point, either because of something we've done or something that's been done to us, that we just can't be forgiven or forgive. And so we find that we just carry it and wheel it around with us. And as time gets on, it becomes heavier and heavier. But maybe it's not that we get centered in our emotions, which means that it's excess baggage or roller coaster living. Maybe it's that it actually causes us to de- end up being treading water. To be centered on our emotions means we just tread water. That we find that we can't ever move on. You know, for some here, it might not be many, but there'll be for some, I promise you. It just feels like it's just this dark cloud. And however much people might say the light's coming in, it just feels like it's there. And it feels like we can't get out of it. It just feels like we're treading water. It may be that it's not the dark cloud. It may be that we just look forward and we say, man, if I was ready to come to terms with what happened, if I was ready to give voice to how I feel, I don't know what would happen. And therefore, I better just stay here. I better just stay treading water. Maybe it's not being centered on emotions that means that we tread water. Maybe it's not that we're excess baggage. Maybe it's not that we're living roller coaster living. Maybe it's that moment that actually we realize that in a centering on rather than on Jesus and then in our emotions, that we find in centering on our emotions, we become toxic. Now, this is the hard one. You thought the others were hard. You think, man, this is like, we started, and sure, you're going to tell us a few more funny stories. You know, the roller coaster one, that was kind of funny, but then you've kind of taken us down, and you get to this point where you then say, maybe our emotions cause us to be toxic. I don't think anyone wants to ever be someone who's toxic to others. But the thing is, sometimes because of how we don't deal and how we don't 
handle our emotions, it can cause us then to handle them in a, a way that's actually destructive to others. It means that we can end up saying stuff that we don't truly mean. It means that we can end up acting towards others in a way that we don't truly want to do. And we find that we become the kind of person we always wanted to avoid. The kind of person who wherever there's hope just comes in and brings despair. Wherever there's excitement wants to come and burst the bubble and say, actually, let's just be real. And we can't help but be cynical. Maybe it's that we just come and we can't help but say stuff out of our brokenness that's just as seeking to say, hey, you ain't back together either. And without knowing it, we find that being centered on our emotions causes us to be toxic. You see, at this point, we could be looking and saying, well, let's not bother with emotions then. Because actually the point of emotions is if they're there and if there's a potential of them getting into the very core of who we are and causing everything else then to rotate or orbit around our emotions, then maybe it's best not to bother with them. But the thing is, if we do that, if we just say, well, let's just park our emotions there. Let's just say we're not going to deal with emotions. We're not going to live emotions. After all, we're, we're followers of Jesus. Everything's great. We're just going to be those people who put on a mask and say, do you know what? I am a robot and Jesus is amazing. I've just had my legs chopped off, but Jesus is amazing. I was in an accident on the way to church, and someone hit me in the face, but Jesus is amazing. And we find that we live in this place that's totally unreal, and, and we start to think maybe that's how it's going to be. Maybe it's just that we say, mask on. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he gives us this amazing life, so I just say, Jesus is amazing. But the thing is, if it's like that, it just doesn't seem real. Because we start to nervously laugh at me impersonating a robot badly of different situations that didn't happen to me on the way to church this morning. But if I was to say, do you know what? I woke up and my wife was ill. My kids were all kind of thinking, do we want to come to not this morning or not? And I think, oh, yeah, I've got to get there, though, at 8 in the morning because I want to make sure that it's hot enough for everyone. I want to make sure I've got finished what I want to say. But I think, hey, whatever. Whatever's going on in my house, praise Jesus, it's okay. Everyone would be like, what? Really? Is that how you respond? You just walk around the house saying, oh, praise Jesus, it's okay. And surely you spend a moment and you say, do you know what? I need to get to grips with this before I continue. At that point, you say anything, man, that's, that's a bit more real. I can understand that. And when men live in a place of reality, but the place of reality is questionable. How do we handle it then? How do we ensure we center on Jesus and from Jesus in our emotions rather than center on our emotions and allow Jesus to orbit? Well, Jesus really helps us with this. I want us to look briefly at a story around Jesus, a very, very profound story, one that, to be honest, it breaks me and changes me every time I look at it because it reveals something of the fullness of who God is and how he desires to give voice to our emotions, how he desires to understand and meet us where we are. And so if you've got a Bible and wants to turn to John 11, and whilst we've looked at that, we're then going to move around a little bit at how do we ensure that we can handle our emotions rightly. But this is an amazing story where Jesus, in the end, raises a man called Lazarus back to life. But this is how it starts. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Judea." Fast forward to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb because Lazarus had died for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come, and who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This story ends how Jesus said it was going to start. It ends in the most amazing way, where Jesus asks for the stone to be rolled away from the tomb and then tells Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, to get out. And he does. And he's alive. And the thing is, we can get to the end and think, that's amazing. But the thing is, this story is unbelievably profound and amazing because actually it starts at a point and ends at a point that Jesus said would happen. So at the beginning, you, say, you find out that Jesus hears Lazarus is sick and he says, oh, this isn't going to end in death. We then find that the story, he does die. But then at the end of the story, we find that Jesus raised him from dead. But the thing is, there's this profound moment that's summed up in two words that happens in the very middle. Well, we're told that Jesus wept. Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, 
wept. See, Jesus had said at the beginning, man, Lazarus isn't going to die. Jesus at the end raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus could have arrived on the scene, Mary and all the mourners, and just said, come on, come with me. Sweeps in. Jesus is here. He's already spoken to Mother. I'm I'm the one who is the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me won't die. They'll have life. He could have sweeped in. There's the tomb. Come on, everyone. Rock the stone away. Lazarus out. But he doesn't do that. He could have pulled them all around and said, I'm here. Pull yourselves together. What are you doing with this crying stuff? I'm here. I'm going to rise him from the dead. I told my friends at the beginning, before I even got here, that I was going to do this. So don't worry. Stop crying. But he doesn't do that. He knows what was going to happen. He knows what he's going to do. And then he does it. But within it all, Jesus wept. For me, those two words become the words that allow me to understand that God knows me and understands me. See, Jesus in that moment, we have to understand why did he weep? It's actually made sense of from just before that, where it says that when he sees Mary and the mourners with her, he's moved. It says he's moved deeply and troubled. See, Jesus isn't disconnected to the people around him. Jesus in this moment sees a bunch of people who he loves because Jesus loves all people. But when he sees this bunch of people, he sees the effect that death has had on them. And he can't help but be moved to the very core of his being with emotion to how they're being moved with emotion. And so he identifies with how they're feeling and we find that he wept. It isn't like he shed a little tear. It means that he just broke down and cried. That Jesus, who is God, identified with who everyone else was, how everyone else was feeling, and in this moment paused and gave space for how everyone was feeling and identified with how everyone was feeling, and he wept. See, this is incredibly enabling, encouraging for us because Jesus is God. And in looking at Jesus, we get to see how God wants to respond with us. God isn't one who wants to kind of shove in our emotions and say, don't worry about that. God's one rather who, like Jesus in this moment, wants to give space. Wants to give space in order that we can give voice to our emotions understanding that as we give voice, he wants to be in the very center of it. That we don't do it to avoid. We don't give voice to our emotions to one who doesn't want to understand, but rather one who wants to identify and understand with how we're feeling. See, Jesus in this story suddenly reminds us that we have a God who is love. A God who is love, who wants to give space, space to you and I, to give voice to how we feel in order that he can allow us to know that he understands, in order that we can then move on. 
See, it isn't that it left at that point where Jesus wept and it stops there. It's in that moment, having Jesus given the space to identify with how everyone's feeling, the space to show that it was okay how everyone was feeling. He then moves to action. And doesn't leave them in that place, but raises Lazarus from the dead. God is one who wants to allow us space to give voice to how we're feeling, but not never to leave us in that place, but to move us on. So the question we're left with then is how do we give voice to our emotion? How do we do it so it's not going to be something that then starts to take the center place and we find ourselves living in those four ways? How do we do it in a right way? Well, to understand how to do it in a right way, we have to first understand how to do it in the wrong way. And how we're not to do it is in what I like to say is in two Ds, one E, and two Fs. That's how you're not to do it. What does that mean then? We're, how we're not to do it is we're not to deny. What that means is that we're not to be like Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson allows us to understand how not to handle our emotions, how not to give voice to our emotions. There's this moment in The Simpsons where Homer Simpson takes his son Bart aside and says, when you feel things, when something gets to you, what you do is you push it down <laughs> and you deny it. And he said, you keep pushing it down until at some point you can take it no more and then you blow up in some innocent person's face. He says, so that's how you do it. So we're not to do it that way. So we don't deny. We don't also dump. Now, I use the word dump because at this point in time, there are some of us who are sniggering and we think, he said dump. That's because you're going to remember that. Because actually, it allows me to explain what it is. Because it means that we don't handle our emotions by going around to other people and saying, whatever's going on in life, well, this is me. As you think life's good, well, it isn't. Life sucks. You think everything's okay? Well, you should come and spend a day with me because it isn't. And we just find ourselves, we're just someone, we just have to just say how we're going to process, how we're going to handle our emotions, we're just going to go around and we're going to dump on everyone. In a moment, you can see, I'm not saying it's not okay to say how we're feeling to others. There's a difference, as we're going to go and see, of how we handle that rightly, rather than how we do it this way, which is a dump. Where we leave everyone smelling, and it ain't smelling good. My guess is everyone in the room knows what it's felt like to feel like someone has come and dumped on us. Some of you are sneering because you know what that feels like. And you're thinking, they said dumped. But you won't forget it. The next one, fester, is that we can find that we feel something and we just think, man, I'm, I'm just going to stay here. Man, this is just going to be how I live. I'm going to live just allowing it. I'm going to feast on it the way that person did something that was wrong to me. And I'm just going to keep playing it over in my mind. And I'm going to keep telling other people about who they are and what they do because what they did really hurt. And so I want them and I want everyone to know that. So I'm just going to keep festering on it. Maybe it's not what someone's done to us in that way. Maybe it's just what someone said about us. 
and we start to believe what they said and we start to fester and say, maybe I am someone who's just not worth anything. And we allow that to be the place where we feast and say, yeah, maybe that's true then. Maybe what they think of me is the most important thing. And so I just feel from this place, I'm not valuable. Maybe it's not fester, maybe it's we fire out. What do I mean by that? It's that we feel something, we immediately respond. We can't help it, but we just think, man, we, we kind of douse it up. So you might say, I've got a fiery personality. I've got someone who, who kind of, I'm a quick responder. Well, actually, what we're doing is we're just handling our emotions by firing out. We say, man, I feel this bang. Do you know what? We live in the day and age where this is the most dangerous way to reveal your emotions. Because we live in a way where we're able to connect with everyone anywhere at every time and allow everyone else to know about it. And so we can find ourselves writing and sending an email, writing and sending a text, posting something on a Facebook status, tweeting something in the heat of the moment of what we're feeling. And suddenly it's there, it's said, and we can't ever take it back. And we've just gone and what? We've gone and dumped. We've gone and fired out something quick. And without we know it, what we've done is become the person we always said we didn't want to be. We've centered ourselves on our emotion and we've become toxic. For some of us, we just need to stop firing out. I know it happens. Why do I know? Because I know those panicked answer machine messages that I've got where someone says, Adrian, please don't read the email. Delete it immediately. What are they saying at that point? They're saying, Adrian, I sent this at midnight. Any email you sent at midnight is not good. <laughs> I sent this at midnight, and what I was saying was the emotion of how I feel. And actually, you don't need to know that. We need to talk about some other stuff, but what you've got is everything that I've got against you. So what do I do at that point? I do what I don't do. I don't open the email and like, scan it. Think, oh, yeah, man, this is awful. I just delete it. Why do I need to read something that someone said is not going to be for my good? But for all of us, and I live with this continuously, I think, man, social media, I'm an external processor. I love saying stuff. I love quickly responding to what people are saying. Twitter, for me, is my absolute nightmare because I, at the same point, can like suddenly say something witty in my own head to everyone. But the thing is, I've had to put in a bit of a barrier, which is basically, do I need to say this and will this do other people good? This is there now forever. Do I want this to be something to be remembered? And so I've had to look and think, man, actually, I'm not going to comment on this one because actually the response I'm giving is out of how I'm feeling. And in this moment, how I feel isn't probably the best. And so I stop myself. And I don't do it. For some of us, we need to stop firing out. The other one then, escape. is that where we feel something, we suddenly think, man, I need to do something. And so we're feeling it, we think, man, I'm going to escape this. And, and how we're going to do that is in the different ways. Maybe it's alcohol. So what we think is, man, I just have that extra glass. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's food. And we think, man, I feel sad. I know I'll eat. Because when I eat, I just feel a bit happier. But we know at the end of when we eat, we just still feel actually worse. Maybe it's exercise, and we say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go for another run again. You know me, body's a temple. 
Um, we all know this isn't me. Um, this, and we find that actually I'm feeling this thing, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and take it out in the gym. Man, you should see the abs. They're not there. <laughs> maybe it's not that. Maybe it's TV. This is my one. I'm feeling stuff. I don't know. It's, most of what my job is is emotion. <laughs> that's, that's the end of the day. If, you, if your job is people, then it's going to be emotion, isn't it? Because people are people. I'm the person. I know I can have highs and lows, and I can have everything in between. And so often you can find yourself being carrying the emotion of others and thinking, man, I feel this. I, I don't want this to be the case. I know there's this suffering going on. I know not everyone else knows it. And I feel it. I identify with it. And in that moment, as I'm feeling and identifying with it, I can find myself thinking, man, this just feels heavy. I just need to switch off. I know, I'll just put the TV on. Because for me, the TV just allows me that escape to, to, to a land that's not Adrian Hurst. And for me, at those moments where I put the TV on, I have to remember, unfortunately, I have this other voice other than God's, which is Lucy, my wife, who's very good at showing me when I'm using this one. And she'll say, God! And that's all she needs to say. She isn't calling me God. I know that. <laughs> She's meaning, why are you looking to that when you need to go to him? And in those moments where I suddenly find, man, I've been watching this for an hour and I don't feel any different, I just feel numb. I think, actually, this is all about how I'm feeling. And I need to not do that. And in those moments, or whatever time it is, I then get to a point of thinking, God, now I don't center on my emotions. I center in you. And through you, I'm now able to center in my emotions. So how do we do that? How we do that is through something Paul writes to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4, where it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is phenomenal. And I'm running out of time to look at it, but we are going to look at it. Here's the deal. How we get to handle our emotions, understanding who God is, that God is that God who was on earth, who was Jesus, who wept. It's the same God who Paul describes as a God who is full of compassion to us. In other words, he yearns to understand how we're feeling and yearns to then do something about it. But he's also not only the God of compassion, he's also the God of comfort. He's one that wants to come and bring strength to us. Strength to the very inner being. That as we live knowing that, we do what we've learned to do. We learn to live this pattern of how we handle our emotions as we come to a God who is compassionate and full of comfort. The God who wept. And so what we do is we pause. We pause within our days. We pause whenever we gather together. And in those moments, we say, how am I feeling? And in that moment of understanding how we're feeling, of pausing, we then center. And we center on this God who is compassionate and full of comfort. That's the one we center on. And as we center on him, we remember that he's the God who yearns to give us space to give voice to how we're feeling. And so we tell him. We express to him how we're feeling, whether that's alone or together. Which means that sometimes it means that we come and we express to him. And it might be alone and it might be through speaking him out, it might, might, might be through writing down. But as we're expressing it to him, it means that we're coming, we just want to celebrate. 
in the fact that God's amazing and our life just feels good. And so we come and we give voice to the fact that everything is amazing. That as the Lego movie taught us, everything is awesome. And we can't help but just be there and say, everything is awesome. And we give voice to that. And sometimes when we come and we gather together, we need to not be apologetic of giving voice to that. And not thinking, oh, but we're in a room and what other people are going to think? No, no, we give voice to how we feel. And so we have moments where we suddenly say, let's just applaud God. Actually, I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to be there. And you'll see me if you stand. And why I will stand at the front is because there's more room. It isn't because I'm holy. I just don't have to look at anyone else and there's, there's less room. And so I'm here and I'll, I'll just get to points. And I'll just start jumping. Why am I jumping? Because I'm just genuinely excited. I can't contain it anymore. People laugh at me of how I look. Because if you watch me, you'll find my hands start going everywhere. Why? Because there's something in me that I can't control. I think, God, you're amazing. I can't help but express it. That's me. What about you? What does it look like? For some of us, it will be that moment of just saying, I'm just going to stand still. God, you're amazing. I'm going to be quiet before you. For others of us, we just know we're vocal people. We can't help but say, God, you're amazing. I just want to declare it. And so we have these moments where we say, God, we come and we celebrate. It might be individually, it might be together. We also have moments where we come and we say, God, I cry out to you. I give voice to the pain, the hurt, the anger, the frustration that I'm healing, feeling in this moment. And I recognize that you want me to voice it to you. I don't keep it in. I'm not Homer Simpson. I don't fire it out. I don't dump it on other people. I come to you, God, who is full of compassion and who is full of comfort. And I tell you how I feel. And God always wants to hear. And God always wants to understand. I remember a particular low point in my life. There are many, but I can remember a particular one. It was 11.30 on a Saturday night. I was due to be preaching on a Sunday morning. And I just had an email, one of those emails. And I'd not learned at this point to not read them. And so I just read this email that was basically telling me, you're not very good, Adrian, and you're pretty rubbish. I remember reading it. That was in general terms. It was a bit more fruity than that. And I remember reading it and just thinking, man, I'm rubbish. What am I doing? I remember at half 11 at night, and I often wonder what my neighbors think of me, leaving my house, and it being streaming down with rain. It was absolutely chucking it down with rain. And walking up to the park at the top of my road. I live in kind of Sturchley. There's a park at the end of my road. And I was there, quarter to 12 now. Bunch of teenagers in the park, hanging out. Me stood in the middle of the grass, streaming rain, just shouting out, God, I can't do this anymore. God, if everyone else thinks they could do a better job, me, because I'm a bit melodramatic, to be honest. If everyone else thinks they could do a better job, they can have it. I can't do this anymore. And I'm there in the middle of a park, quarter to 12 at night, pouring down rain, calling out to God, saying, God, you're the compassionate one. You're the comforter. God, I'm just here and saying, I'm done, done. I'm broken. I can't do this. And he gave space to it. And I cried. And I yelled. And I didn't get arrested. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, we get to the end, and you suddenly think, God, you're God. Do you know what he says? I laugh at him. He tells me, Adrian, it's, not, it's my body, not yours. Don't take it so personally. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and I just thought, oh yeah, Jesus, it's your body. It's not mine. You know how I feel. You understand. You identify. 
and now you give me comfort. I love moments like at quarter to 12 in the park where I'm able to call out to God and know that he's compassionate, he's the comforter, and he meets me. That as I pause, as I center on him and give voice, he then comes in the centering and comforts me with what I need, giving me forgiveness, giving me the ability to forgive, giving me peace, giving me hope, giving me that deep sense of I'm loved, perspective that actually how he sees me is what counts. That suddenly it allows me to see that, yes, I do feel, but he's at the center of it and he understands and he comforts it all, which then allows me to do what we've learned. As we pause, we center, it allows me to continue. And to continue how? To continue to be a comforter to those that need comforting. To able to offer the comfort that I've received. To point to the comforter above all comforters. To be one who can stand with others and say, I understand. And I'm here. To be one who isn't unmoved by others, but actually can feel what they feel and say, actually, I'm, I'm with you because I want to give space to how you feel in order that you can get to the point of getting to the comforter. And that's how we get to live. We get to live understanding that we are emotional. And that's all right. But in it, we get to center on Jesus who offers us this amazing life, which means that we can then center in our emotions. And we can live, therefore, centered in emotions. It means that when we gather together, we can gather knowing that we can give voice here to our how we're feeling. I mean, it's not judgment, but rather a bunch of people want to stand with us. I want to just say that, man, if you come and you think, man, I just feel at the floor, it's all right. If you come every week thinking, I just feel I'm on the floor, it's all right. And we'll keep picking you up and saying, we stand with you. If you come every week and think, man, I feel like I bounce off the walls, that's all right. It's that we come in the place of reality together to build something that is real. But we also live individually, saying we pause, we center, we continue. And then in it, we also stand with one another. Feel free to answer. Um, <laughs> that we stand with one another. We stand with one another in a celebration. We stand in one, with one another in the cry. But let's ensure that we stay centered on Jesus, who wants to center us in our emotion. Let's stand. Here's the deal. Can we just close our eyes for a moment just so we don't get distracted by others? I don't know where you're at at this point in time. For some of us, we're parents, so we know we need to get our kids. And in a moment, we're going to go and get our kids. And we're going to bring them back in here. And then we're going to get others to help us if we need to respond. But for all of us, this is a moment where we say, actually, Jesus, am I centered on my emotions at the moment? Or am I centered in you, in my emotions? Is there stuff that I need to now finally give voice to and say, God, I don't want to carry this anymore. I don't want to live in this place anymore. I want to, I want to give it to you. Are there ways that we've been handling our emotions? Maybe it's in those escape things. That we just realize that actually I, I am someone who just actually always does that. And today's the moment where we say, actually, I'm not going to do that anymore. I, I'm going to give voice to this. Because I recognize God is one who's compassionate and full of comfort. And I need that. In a moment, 
For some of us, it's going to be the moment where we can come forward and we can get others to stand with us to pray and say, actually, yeah, this is the moment I decide to give voice. Brothers of us, as I said, we're going to get our kids and we'll still have that moment where we need to get our kids first. But I'm going to pray for us with their end. I'll then say, come forward. Those of us who want to get prayed for will come forward. Please don't chicken out at that point. Do come. We'll ensure there'll be lots of people to pray for you. If you're regular here and can pray for others, please do come forward at that point. If you don't want to get prayed for, that's okay. You can go and grab a tea and coffee at the back. That'll be done. I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for the profound moment that happened. This was summed up in two words, that you wept. And in the fact that you wept, it changed everything for us forever. That God, you aren't a God who's distant. God, you're a God that longs to encounter with us, that longs to come and give us space in order that we'd come and express and voice how we feel to you, in order that we'd be those that receive your compassion and comfort, in order that we'd be those that then could go and offer that comfort to others. And so God, I pray, would you make us those that just continuously come and center on you, Jesus? Understanding that you then give us a way of centering in our emotions. They're not something to be feared or controlled by. They're something to be liberated in. And God, I want to pray for those of us this morning who know we need to be liberated. Who just know that we've been pulling excess baggage for long enough. We've been escaping from places for long enough. And today is our day where we say no further. God, I come to you to receive your comfort. Amen. Okay, it's always weird at this bit, but um, if you want to get a tea or coffee, grab it. If you want to get prayed for, please come forward now. No one's going to judge you. Everyone would love to pray for you, so do come forward now. If you've got a kid, go and get them. If you haven't, don't. Otherwise, please do come there. If we can just have um, Andrew Gordon, if you're still around, if you could just play potentially in the background, it would be really helpful. Otherwise, please do come forward now. Be great.